listening to Latin Experts, a podcast of Latino studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Latin Experts features the voices of faculty, staff, and students, as well as friends and alumni of the Department of Mexican American and Latina Latino Studies, the Latino Research Institute, and the Center for Mexican American Studies. Join us for this episode of Latin Experts. Hello, hello. Good morning, Angel. Good morning. <laughs> For those of you, wherever or whenever you are listening to, we are recording in the studio on a Monday. No, it's not a Monday morning. It's, it's, a, it's a Wednesday it's morning. It's a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday morning. <laughs> Apologies. Not uh, caffeinated enough. But I am here. It is my ultimate pleasure to be here in the studio with Angel Lartigue a Houston-based artist who has been very busy in the last five years, despite the pandemic, doing what I think is extraordinary work that brings in the sciences, among other things that we're going to get into today. Angel, I don't know if you want to say anything else about your bio for the audience, too. No, that's interesting how you said five years. I can't believe it's been five years that I started making work. Well, in the serious matter of showing in different places. I'm from born and raised in Houston, so I'm a Texas girl. So. <laughs> but recently I've been kind of around. I was doing a residency in Australia. I was in living in Mexico City for a short time, and I just got back from L.A. participating in a group exhibition there in the Roski School of Art and Design, which was an amazing performance piece that I did. I'm so proud of. But I just got back. Also just finished another project at Diverse Works in Houston like a week ago, and it was also very performance-based. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that I've been moving around with. Yeah, I know, within just the... Last year, maybe the last two years, at the same time that we've been in this pandemic moment, you've been producing work that I, I imagine encapsulates so much of what you were already doing, right? Thinking about the way that we are so affected by our coming into consciousness about viruses and bacteria around us, right? So that's actually why... I invited you to talk about, <laughs> yeah. not to talk about COVID or anything like that, but to talk about the ways in which you see matter, the importance of matter, whether it's land or the living organisms in the land and how that has structured so much of your work. So I was wondering if you can start us off by talking about the importance of land in your work and how that is then translated into different spaces. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I do want to talk about one of my earliest pieces. I always go back to these pieces. It was early performance works that I've started doing in 2014 or 2015. There was one video performance piece where this was shot in Galveston, I think my mother actually shot this video piece. She went with me. It's so funny because I just got done doing a piece in Diverse Works and my mother participated in that performance piece for the first time. And so now that I'm talking about this early, early piece, she actually shot the video for it. I totally forgot. It's a piece where I walk. It's, it's a very foggy day in Galveston, the shores. 
the coastal shore and it's this very slow piece where I slowly walk into the ocean and kind of disappear within the fog that's around there. That was one of the earliest pieces I did really thinking about how uh, the environment can take shape in a piece of work, specifically performance. From there, I started to really think about the terrain as a landscape that affects my work. So the next piece would be called Self-Portraits as I Were Dead. And it's a series of self-portraits taken through my iPhone. It's a double exposure where you see myself doubled in the same frame. I digitally manipulated that in Photoshop after I took the two shots. And one is one body is laid on the ground naked and the other body is dressed in black looking at the other body. So I'm sort of looking at myself as I were dead, in other words, and shot these in different locations within Houston. And then within the year time span, I started to go into South Texas and taking that series there. I would use the cotton fields, the coastal um, ocean as the landscape, and really thinking about how the body is laid and in contact on the land. Um, and it's a hybrid of a landscape portraiture. And so that was the earliest times that I started to really think about the land and how the body is in contact with the land. And I think that foreshadows a lot of the work that I've been doing recently. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really love and appreciate about your work. Often we think within performance, oh, it's a site-specific performance, right? And sometimes I feel that gets lost because we don't, it could mean so many things, but it, it can also lose the importance of relation between the body and the land. And you're so intentional about making sure that that relationship is felt. Mm -hmm. Since the beginning. the beginning. And it's funny because I th would thought of those early pieces as performance, but there wasn't really an audience. I was doing it for myself in this very self-reflective, they're almost like little notes to myself, but in image form. And I was mm -hmm. like, there's nobody going to see me doing these performances and this is very much for myself and my own study of my body and the land. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So they do predate but also prefigure. I mean they're performative if they're not performances in the way that we understand performances because of the absence of audience. But they do prefigure the the work that you did with the performances of science at the club, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you can talk about those performances, science at the club. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that whole era. Oh my god, that was like pre-COVID era, and it was a different time now. I haven't done a performance at a club since the pandemic. Of course, a lot of things have changed. I think things are starting to get kind of back on how they were, but a lot of those underground scenes, particularly in Houston, the organizers of these uh, parties and DJs and artists that were contributing to this nightclub scene dispersed after the pandemic. So it's interesting to think about that work before COVID and how I started that work. Since early on, I had an interest in things like science and art, for instance, the bio-art movement, which was this movement in the 1990s, <clears throat> where a lot of artists started to integrate scientific 
processes into works of art, which very much required a laboratory in order to do that back in the day, and the access of having a biological laboratory. And in my case, having to grow up after that movement, I saw the club as a space where I could use it as my own laboratory and very experimental. And so one of the first pieces, it's called the sub-scientist piece, which is this alias that has stuck onto me <laughs> since the sub-scientist. <laughs> and it's a sort of a, a combination of a submissive scientist. So it was a piece where I extracted people's DNA from their saliva using salt and water in a club setting. And it was this communal exchange between my extracted DNA in a vial and their extracted DNA in a vial, and we sort of swapped it. And it took less than five minutes, so it was very quick. And at the same time, I was sort of chained up against the wall. It had this very BDSM aesthetic look to it, hence the sub-scientist. And it was this idea of making the figure of the scientist as a very submissive body to the audience. In, in our culture, we think of scientists as very high, hierarchical beings. And in this case, I wanted to bring science into this level of the club and, and also a very queer and trans club space and what it means for queer and trans bodies to handle things like biological matter, like DNA. Like, what does this mean for queer and trans people? DNA is very dominant in its cis-patriarchal, hegemonic ways of reproducing, etc. For queer and trans people, we handle biological matter in a different way. And I wanted to see how it would be in a club space where it's like our own laboratory where we create our own knowledge. That was the start of the science at the club. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Thank you for doing that elaborate description. I also encourage the listeners to first, the name that has stuck on to you, <laughs> Subscientist, is the ways in which you can find Angel on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's your handle. At sub underscore scientist. Yeah. And also, <laughs> listener, you should look at the material that Angel has archived for the sub-scientist performance that um, she was describing, but also all of the other pieces that we're going to talk about and those that we won't get a chance to talk about because <laughs> there's quite a lot of material there. And all of this, you can find links on the show notes. The website is, is going to be linked there. See it for yourselves and uh, not just hear it. Or maybe that's fine. You get enough. You can visualize however you want. So this is the first performance when you start to think about science at the club. But I know that there are at least two more performances that also are where science meets the club. Again, I, again. for three times. It three was a trilogy. It's the trilogy performance, says how I describe it. And I wrote this essay that was part of... Um, this science and art conference, it's called Taboo Transgression Transcendence. It was in 2020. It happened in Vienna, Austria. Fortunately, I wasn't able to go because of the pandemic, so everything was online. But part of the conference was me writing an essay and trying to process these three performances, these three trilogy performances, and create this paradigm or conversation on those performances. The the next two have a lot to do with the land, as how you were talking. The next one would be 
called Operation Psychopomp, which is a very different trajectory of my work. It was the next year. And at this time, I was going down to South Texas, um, particularly in a town called Falfurias, and I was getting involved with what was going down there, particularly the South Texas Human Rights Center, which is a nonprofit organization headed by Eddie Canales, who's a grassroots organizer since the 70s. Getting involved with him and his project, the Water Station Project, that prevents the deaths of migrants in that area by installing water stations on private lands. Um, so getting involved there and how my work took me there is very interesting. I think it had to do in 2018 when my grandfather passed away and knowing that his brother disappeared in an attempt to cross the U.S.-Mexico border in South Texas. So it brought me to that area and I started to create works out of the, the land there burial site material, mud, clay, and that's how I got involved with the Forensic Anthropology Center. I took training courses in human remains recovery and human decomposition. So it, it was like a breaking point in my projects. There was a lot of absorption of science, but also in relation to the land and the body and the processes of the body. And I integrated that into my artwork. That's how this next performance, Operation Psychopump, came to be. I brought together a team of family and friends and dressed them in hazmat suits. And they all went in the club. They brought burial site material from South Texas and dumped it on the dance floor. It was a combination of clay, dirt, vulture feathers that I picked up from down there. My friend, Farrah Fang, who's a very good poet, and artist, Houston-based, she wore a garment that I made out of 104 Petri dishes. So to those who don't know what Petri dishes are, they're these little circular plates and they have a nutrient inside that um, allows bacteria to grow. And so the bacteria that grew on these Petri dishes were bacteria and fungi that I collected from my studies in human remains recovery and human decomposition and made a whole garment out of it. And she wore it and went into the club as well. <laughs> it was one of the most breaking performances of my work, a lot of elements into it. Yeah, I, I find that particular performance. Oh, also, by the way, listener, the essay the angel was referring to, you can also find it on the website. It's there. Everything's for on the website. Everything's <laughs> on the website, as well as material about this last performance. Mm -hmm. And I really am moved by the way that you described and, and walked us through, particularly because the nightclub then becomes this space where through the garment, there's a coming into life or growing out of something that was dead or perceived mm -hmm. to be dead, mm -hmm. but you awaken it. Mm -hmm. And I think I find that to be moving in addition to the visuals and the whole aesthetic, which I'm really drawn to. That piece was just, there's a lot going on in comparison to the sub-scientist piece. I think what the sub-scientist performance brought in was the scientific processes into the club. And then 
Operation Psychopomp really expanded it and made it, I would say, political. It involved South Texas and what is going on down there and using the land and bringing the fabric of the land into the nightclub. And the Petri dishes, the technology that a lot of bioscientists use into the club space and bringing all that energy into there. The piece was titled Operation Psychopomp which was a play on a, the forensic anthropologist's operation, which is titled Operation Identification. That operation is held down in South Texas. It is the exhumation of unidentified burial sites of migrant bodies that have been buried there. I give them an identification, and this is an operation held by Texas State University in... San Marcos. It's a very rigorous program there. And that's the program that I went to have this forensic training that I had for a summer. It involves all that. So it's a very heavy piece. <laughs> South Texas still haunts me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you went there because there was the fact that your grandfather's brother has disappeared. So the ways in which he continues to disappear right it's haunting yeah i'm not from south texas i was born here in houston and i don't have family in south texas i was brought down there because of that narrative which is how a lot of families are brought down to south texas when they are looking for their loved ones who have disappeared it's this very elusive entity particularly in falfurias it's a town that has haunted a lot of my pieces until my, even my recent piece. Can you tell us about that recent piece? <laughs> yeah. So last week, I think it was a week or two ago, the project in Diverse Works, I was part of a group exhibition there and symposium curated by Ashley De Oyos called uh, Overlapping Territories. My contribution to that group exhibition was an installation of a shrine in Falfurias, dedicated to the 1800s curandero Don Pedro Jaramillo, who was famous to heal with water. And he used water as this very important element in his communal practice. And that was the first site that I went to when I first started to go down to South Texas, like years ago. It's a very old shrine. There's lots of statues of him in there. People go in there, leave photographs, light candles. There's also a water station behind the shrine built by the South Texas Human Rights Center, which I find very interesting because the water station has gallons of water for migrants to take and drink. Also, in case anyone doesn't know, most of the deaths of migrants in that area is because of dehydration, because of the harsh South Texas sun. So water still plays this element in the town versus how in the 1800s, how Don Pedro used to use it. So my installation was a performance based in the site there. And it was like a cleansing of all the work that I'd done in South Texas. I took this opportunity to, again, cleanse all that energy that I have picked up. I don't know if it's called closing uh, a chapter in this era of work, but I felt it was important to use 
Don Pedro Jaramillo's water and those elements and those ideas in this performance because it's like a cyclic thing. It, it closes. And the fact that he was a curandero in the performance, it was, I captured video in the performance. My friend Tere Garcia, who's also another artist who has been helping me in a lot of my projects, captured the video in the site. And I created a short film that was presented in Diverse Works in Houston. That was also a performance <laughs> at the same time. That was the cleansing of that era of work for me, which was very important. A lot of my work has a lot to do with rituals and picking up energies from locations and sites because the land always has energy and Sometimes you pick up things and sometimes it latches onto you without you even knowing. <laughs> Just like everything, it could be good or it could be bad for you. And I think we need rituals for us to process those things, whether it's a cleansing or just a self-reflection, but that has a lot to do with my work. I find that beautiful, the way that you return to, to that site and that land and that landscape to reflect on it and, and what it's meant for you these last five or so years. And you don't know if it's sort of a circle coming to a close. It is cyclical for mm -hmm. sure, our approach to time. Right. It's cyclical. Right. So perhaps being more open and thinking of it as spiral, right? It's like a necessity to go back and reflect on what that's meant for you in the past and what it means for you now. And also to do that ritual that you said, which I completely agree, it's very necessary. But then to move on with without having fully closed that chapter, gain from what you learned and what you did and carry it forward right. with you. That's interesting that you said spiral because one of my other projects that I recently created involving Valfurias is a project called Cenote, which is very much of a spiral, you know. It was a project named after Gloria Anzaldúa's conception of what Cenote meant for her. A cenote, it is a hole in the land that's connected to groundwater and it's connected through all these various underground tunnels. And for her, it was a way to connect a lot of ideas and how they would clash and sort of spiral on their own. So I named this project Cenote. As I was going down there to South Texas, I realized I was collaborating with a lot of different people and having conversations with different artists, writers, activists, and in the center of the town of Falfurias. And I decided to make a sort of artist residency slash collective slash network of, of artists involving the town. And most of these were my friends and some of these were people that I thought were interested in going down to South Texas and staying like a week or so, a couple of days in Falfurias. And that's what I did with this project. I really loved bringing other artists and, and collaborating and enacting these conversations about what is South Texas, what is the land, and what is going on down there. And visiting these sites that are important to me, the Don Pedro Jaramillo Shrine, the Sacred Heart Cemetery, it's the the cemetery of Alforias, but it's also the site where many unidentified mass graves were exhumed. And also the South Texas Human Rights Center is there. And so we have a lot of these sites that I like to bring people in and an artist in particular to have 
these conversations about land, about migration, about all these things that are merging within this weird, quiet town in South Texas. And that's what I described it as cenote. Wow, I, I, I really like the way that so much of what I was thinking as you were describing your previous project led you to talk about cenote because I hadn't intended you to talk about it, but I actually think it's really important for you to also highlight that uh, work because I think that the idea first of a residency in this town, but also the way that you bring together people that would otherwise be in conversation, I find that very powerful and I think a sign of, at least for me, the work that I'm interested in seeing, right? It, it's work that's meaningful for different people mm-hmm. and for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, your work really does that. Um, and that's why I've been following you <laughs> since sub-scientist. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think we're at time. Unfortunately, okay. we could keep talking about, yeah. <laughs> but listeners, please do visit Angel's website. website. Yeah. Archive everything. <laughs> I'm of the um, social media generation. So I grew up with the internet. So I see my website as its own art piece and I take a lot of time to create it. Yeah, you could find my website at www.angel lartigue, L A R T I G U E.com. Mm-hmm. Yes. Spend some time with it, sit with it, reflect, and enjoy as well. All right. Thank you so much, Angel. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Hi, all. This is Ashley Nava Monteros, the Communications Associate at Latino Studies. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Make sure to check out the Latino Studies Instagram page. Follow us at Latino Studies UT to keep the conversation going.